What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Carol Ocean is a mother, model, actress, speaker, victim advocate, and co-victim of manslaughter. She has used her experiences to educate others about grief and the dangers of drunk driving. I had the pleasure of meeting her at my local Starbucks, and within a few chats, we had shared our family history and related traumas with each other, forging a deep bond. I just want to say, Carol, the moment I met you, I was blown away by you just because you're this ball of energy and beauty. You're effervescent. I really commend you in telling your story and telling Jordan's story and telling just the truth and honesty. The truth has got to be told. I think everybody should know what happened, what can happen, and what's been happening and how literally the term getting away with murder is true. Can you tell our listeners about Jordan and your relationship with Jordan? When Jordan was born, his tongue was attached to his mouth. My friend's husband was a pediatrician. I took him and he said, don't worry about it. It'll disconnect itself. He didn't talk. Around two years old, he collected books all the time and Cabbage Patch dolls. I'm reading him his favorite book. I forgot the name of it. still out. And all of a sudden, and he never spoke, he grabs the book out of my hands. And he says, I will read to you now, Mommy. And he read the whole book. He was brilliant, very high IQ, went to preschool. Then they told me he belongs in kindergarten, not preschool. He went to school on and off. He went to school a lot on the set and the trailer because he worked a lot and he was always working. When he went to school, sometimes they bring a TV in so they could see him on General Hospital or whatever show he was doing. When he was about 10, they told me he doesn't belong in school. He belongs in college. He took the SATs and got a perfect score. He applied to USC and UC Irvine. At age 15, he was accepted at both. Jordan was my best friend. I was his mother and his best friend. And we always had a good time. He was like me. I can talk to a cockroach on the wall and have a great conversation. He spoke five languages fluently. Every year, the end of school, not that he went to school, but the beginning of the summer, we take off and live in Europe. Every girlfriend he had called him a mama's boy, called me and texted me all the time. I taught him everything. I taught him that the way you treat your mom is the way you're going to treat some woman in your life. If I didn't like his girlfriend, I would say, she's not for you. He was, he was me. Jordan was my twin. Talked to everybody that roamed the streets. I could have a conversation with anybody, but usually I pick dogs. When Jordan was 21, I bought him a bearded dragon. He lived to be 11. 
I used to take him out of his tank. I fed him what he was supposed to eat, plus vegetables. Gave him a bath once a week. As soon as that happened with Jordan, a few weeks after Jordan died, I found him dead. My kids picked rats and mice and snakes. I had everything that you can think of in a cage. Most of the time, they were men. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you don't notice, Carol is quite the comedian. Something that's going to come out in our interview, I'm sure. Yes. And although this might be a podcast with a more considerate tone, generally, laughter is okay too. Laughter is the best medicine. There's no copay, no deductible. <laughs> Every time you laugh, you live an extra day. Jordan was the type that if he saw somebody that was homeless, they had no shoes, he'd take his shoes off. He'd give somebody his watch, he'd buy them dinner. They'd actually fight over waiting on him in this little coffee shop. If he had a bagel and coffee and it was $7, he left a $10 tip. When he went to get his first car, he said, I want a Hummer one. I said, no, that's $115,000. You're not getting that. I'll take a Mercedes then. I said, okay, the cheapest model and a used one. That's what you're getting. He was an actor, and then he always wanted to be an IT. He went back to school to get his degree. He graduated six months before he was killed. He got an offer at a radio station. He didn't want to do acting anymore. He said, I'm done. He just was a great kid and friend. We would go out to dinner and everywhere. We'd get in the car, take our monthly trip to Palm Desert, to La Quinta, all over. That's what we did. What a blessing you guys were in each other's lives. Tell us a little bit more about February 14th, 2014. Valentine's Day has always been special. But it will never be special for me to celebrate because that was the most horrific day of my life. About two weeks before that, I texted my daughter. You know, I just keep thinking something's going to happen to Jordan. I have something that people call a gift, but I don't think it's a gift. I can tell when something's going to happen. The crazy thing is, Jordan had all these demos of all the shows he's done. And for some crazy reason, I texted him. I said, you know, Jordan, please make copies of this because if something happens to you, I want to have all that. The day before, Jordan and I and his girlfriend went to our favorite sushi place. We hung out for a couple of hours. And then the next day, we took a little walk. The night of his death, he also went back to the same sushi place with his girlfriend and asked me to go. I said, no, you just go with her. And I went with my friends to the commons. On my way home, I was having strange feelings. And it was around nine o'clock at night. I get in and I'm looking at the TV. Then I thought, well, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm tired. All of a sudden, I hear fire trucks and paramedics. I said, what is going on? I look out the window. Then I go downstairs and every one of my neighbors going, Carol, don't come here. Go home. Go home. And there I see a swimming pool of blood with my son's body in it. Now, nobody wants to come out and see their child in a pool of blood. I have a picture of the way he was born in a pool of blood, then right there. And the crazy factor that he did a movie on that when he was 10, where he was killed in a car crash. I was Googling his name and I saw that somebody wrote about it. Just utterly amazing. One of the people that I've done a podcast with, all their kids were killed Saturday night by a drunk driver. I have two friends that are therapists, and they've never been so busy in their life. 
I've gone into a lot of restaurants and I see the bar is full at lunchtime. The restaurants that everybody was ordering takeout, you can take your drinks out too. Stop giving all those drinks out because it could be somebody who's handing out the drinks. It could be his parents that get killed. I want everybody to know drinking and driving is not an accident. It's intent. When you kill one person, you kill 50 people, friends and family. What happened in terms of the criminal justice system? There were three guys in the car. One took off. Pizza guy was delivering, and he started following him, but he lost him. Now, Jordan crossed on an unmarked crosswalk, which means you can cross there, but it's not marked as a crosswalk. The guy is drunk, was just speeding, and he had one or two prior DUIs. Almost 40, couldn't get a job because he couldn't pass a background check. If you have a prior DUI, one or two, you have to have maximum insurance. He had next to nothing. He literally, he, I think he got four or six months, but he served 27 days. Vehicular manslaughter was changed to a misdemeanor, and he got a $1,000 fine. How come in other states, people that do this get 25 years? I'm also a firm believer, every color of a person is equal. And you should not have a worse sentence because you're not the same color. And that's the way it seems to work. I know the people that own the bar that he goes to, and they knew about it afterwards. All she did was apologize. All the news stations were at my house. They were there on and off for two weeks. The newspapers, the guy was all over the news. Turned out that he lived down the street. And then he started following me. I had to look out for wherever I go and still scared. And I moved to the other side of town because I can't be looking out my rear view. I filed the lawsuit against the city, the state, and the county. I said, I want a speed bump. I want this. I want that. I want a sign put up. Do not speed. Or this is Jordan Street, Jordan Row, or on the freeway. Do the speed limit, Jordan Ocean. The county was blamed, actually. Nobody else would take the blame. I think I'm suffering more now than ever. Every time I go into where this happened, I keep going through all the places we would go. I would see us walking here or going for dinner here. I have a very bad habit, which I've got to stop. I keep going past the site and I sit there because on one of the DWP boxes, there's still a contribute to Jordan. It says his name, his date of birth, mm -hmm. and his date of death. I go back to that. I see that same scene all the time, and you never get over it. I can't believe it's eight years. To me, it's like yesterday. You don't get this feeling right after it happens because you're still in disbelief. Amidst our discussion, Carol shared a bit more about the grieving process after Jordan's death. She explained how some of her closest loved ones struggled to be there for her in her grief, including her ex-husband, in the following months and years after losing Jordan. It would have been good to have somebody in your life with compassion when you're going through this. It was the biggest mistake of my life. I tried to almost slap myself to say, stop thinking that way. I've never seen him cry once over Jordan. He didn't even pay for his funeral. He had strangers who saw the memorial on the street, brought food to my house. I found that my friends I've known for years were not there. People would say, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? 
They can't see inside you. They look at you on the outside and they think, wow, you're such a strong person. I was sitting at Starbucks, a gal that was a neighbor, and she said, I saw you on the news a couple of weeks ago. She said he was meant to go. The more we let people kind of placate us with those statements and not continue our conversations at our pace, it tells people that grief makes other people uncomfortable and let's just bury it. And that's not okay to me. I tell everybody everything wherever I go. When you talk about something, it helps. And people mm -hmm. should know, do not get behind the wheel after you've been drinking. Carol, from our talk, I can tell you love animals, but I also know you love comedy. And you're good at it, too. I can imagine that finding the funny, even in grief, has helped you. I like to make people laugh, and I tell it to strangers, wherever I'm at. I was offered a job, but I wouldn't take it because I put a very big, well-known TV person out of business who does comedy. So I had to turn it down. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, I can talk because about it, Because sure. this situation, honestly, is a trauma, too. And an abuse of power on the part of a... Should we say his name? It's up to you. Whatever makes you comfortable. Okay, I will say his name. Michael Richards. He was on Seinfeld. He played Kramer. I took a friend to see him at a comedy club. He came out, I believe he was drunk, and he came over to these people and he said, are you guys Jewish? And the guy said, yes. He goes, fuck you, you motherfucking Jews. You're the reason Jesus is dead. Fuck all you Jews. And then he started in with the N-word. TMZ, I submitted the video and they sent somebody out. Then I did all these news shows and newspapers all over the world. And that ended his career. I see in that story a pattern in you and what really helps you heal not only comedy, but also going after the sons of bitches that do the thing. You are a justice seeker. I speak up for other people. I was always taught how you treat people, part of your family. We have to let the world know what is happening and hopefully they'll catch on eventually and change the way they live. I commend you again. As I was saying, trauma changes us. You haven't let your trauma change you. It might change your actions, but you are who you are. What steps have you taken to try mm -hmm. to heal to a certain degree as much it's, as you can? It's hard to heal. I go through old pictures. I put them up because mm -hmm. it's just part of me. Plus, I'm yeah. with all these grief groups that I've never met in my life. The person who started Mad Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, mm -hmm. she asked me if I'd be a writer in her book. I think 15 of us on the story of how we lost a child. The grief diaries, losing a child to an impaired driver. And that can be found on Amazon. Yes, Amazon. And Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Was that helpful to contribute to that book? And have you found some community in there? Or? I think it's great because all these grief groups everywhere send me friend requests on Facebook. And they make pictures of my son. They'll have a poster and they add his name or send a picture. You know, July is Bereaved Parents Month. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know. I know I've used this word a lot, but I commend you. You are not only persevering, but using your experiences as a point of education for others mm -hmm. is massive because we need to hear these things. I can give a speech to a whole stadium filled with people on this subject because nobody will ever know what it is until they take a step in my shoes.
I think healing is constant, especially from a trauma like this. Do you think Jordan is part of the support system getting you through this? I think he is here. I was sleeping in the middle of the night. One of my dressers, an armoire exactly, I had about six big pictures of him. My dog stands up in the middle of the night on two legs and she started screaming and crying. And I looked and there it was, all his pictures were on the floor. He was there to let me know. Wherever I go, I find coins, which is a sign that a loved one is nearby. Butterflies at the cemetery go on my windshield. I have a song that I dedicated to Jordan when he was born. Every time I get in the car, that song comes on mm. and I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. What is going on? It'll be four years in October. I'm driving and all of a sudden some guy comes out of McDonald's and drives through my brand new car with me in it, totals it, throws me into an oncoming bus. And my daughter's on the screen. What's going on? What's going on? I go, I'm gonna die. And all of a sudden, I heard Jordan's voice. Mom, you are not going to die. I will not allow you to come here so you can keep an eye on me. <laughs> <laughs> if the listeners could take one thing from you in regards to survivorhood, what would it be and why? My father taught us this. Yesterday is gone. Forget it. Today is here. Enjoy it. Shit like nobody's watching you or shit like everyone's watching you because tomorrow you may never see. What you really need is your health. You have a place to live. You have food on the table. Money comes and money goes. And then you have to realize who cares. You have to understand how life really is. I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate the work you're doing. Jordan sounds like an exceptional young man, and I'm so sorry that his life was cut short. I'm so sorry your life was forever altered. Your perseverance is something that should be congratulated. Jordan Ocean was born on January 24th, 1982, and was killed on February 14th, 2014. In his 32 years, he made a deep impact on all of those who knew him, and through his short, vibrant career, even those who didn't. His memory will remain to be a blessing for all who had the privilege of knowing him. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, one in four traffic-related deaths are the direct result of alcohol impairment. Every day, about 37 people in the United States die in drunk driving crashes. That's one person every 39 minutes. In 2021 alone, there were 13,384 alcohol-impaired driving traffic deaths, which is a 14% increase from 2020. One quarter of drunk driving-related deaths each year are caused by an underage impaired driver, and nearly 1,000 of those that died were under the age of 21. These deaths were all preventable. For more information on alcohol-related impairing driving accidents, or to find out how you can help make a difference, please visit the sources in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. A victim to a survivor who is public and speaking wasn't ever a trajectory that I thought I was going to be on. It wasn't as if this happens and now I'm going to be a public speaker. It was kind of the opposite. Because you want to remain anonymous. 
And then when you find that purpose and that passion that is deep within your gut, and you know that you are doing the right thing for the right reason, you're going to continuously pursue that passion. And that's what I felt. Being able to share my story was taking back that power, rewriting the narrative so that it wasn't just some cautionary table. It was a story of survival and being able to become who you were supposed to be despite what happened to you. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.